first question we ask everybody who come on the show is, who's the first person to bust your ass when you got to the league? Wow. Uh, right to it. Yeah, Joe Dumars. <laughs> Joe Dumars. Joe right, D. Right from the get-go. I remember we had to play them. I think it was opening night in their building, opening night of the Palace. Ooh. And they just won it. So they got their rings that night, too. And we were an expansion team playing our first game. And he wore me out. I remember I got back cut so much. I had no idea. Picks. I didn't know, you know, got in the league. I didn't know what the offensive sets were, where anything was coming from. He just, I felt like a JV player. He was such, <laughs> He was one of those real heady, smart, cerebral players. Not real talkative, quiet, but he was deadly. Busting your ass and nice about it. <laughs> you, you know, get an offensive foul you and then help you up and then right. bust grass on the other end. It was maddening playing, but I learned a lot playing against him. And he helped me as as we went on, as I went on in my career, because we were no threat to the Pistons at that point. And I was young. I was the youngest player in the league, in fact, um, wow. for one year, my, my rookie year. Kareem was the oldest. Um, <laughs> crazy. And my dad played against Kareem. Back in the day, way back. Wow, that's but um, yeah, so Joe Joe Dumars, yeah. Yo yo yo, live hold on, on hold location. Hold on. See, hold this on. is part of the back and hold forth. On. He do this every time to make me mess up and start. Uh -huh. over. No, I that's see, cool. I see. Live on location. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> so now we got Reds get into it. This is this is ridiculous. Look at, look at yes, see, this is ridiculous. Yes. yes. People don't understand, though, that this is the best part about being in a locker room. I mean, yes, exactly. Really I mean, exactly. it's like traveling the globe with a bunch of fifth graders with money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely is. We can eat, we can eat, drink, do whatever we want to hey. do in every city we go to. <laughs> no, all right, Q, do your thing. Yo, we live on location. Darius and I are here, staying our asses at home in Orlando, staying safe. And we got my main man, Blocker Charge, the Kentucky legend in the building. One of the best dudes you're going to meet. Sit down, chill out, pull up with us, and holler at us with my man, Rex Chapman. Thanks for coming through, bro. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, fellas. Apollo High School, Kentucky. Taking it back. That's right. That's right, what Apollo. Was, how was Apollo High School for you? Man, Apollo High School was great. My dad coached at Apollo before I got into, into high school. He coached there when I was a kid. And then uh, we put out another basketball player. You guys might not even know him. He played at Virginia. His name is Jeff Jones, and he was Ralph, Ralph Sampson's point guard for all okay. those years at, at Virginia. So I grew up watching Jeff play you know, from the time I was little and he was a six, five point guard. And, and, uh, so I kind of gave me the backing to know that, look, I know somebody who's done it because when you come from a little place like Owensboro, I mean, little 60, 65,000 people, four high schools, you know, seeing somebody from where you, you've grown up yeah. go off and, and play college. Cause really that's all I was trying to do was get a scholarship. I didn't, we didn't have, pro basketball in Kentucky. I never saw an NBA game until I played in one. Wow. And so, so um, Apollo was great. 
I was little. I was little as a freshman in high school. I was like five, seven. And over that summer, I grew, you know, maybe six inches. And in one summer? In one summer, like three months, Q. And my and my back was all messed up. My knees were messed up. You know, just an awkward, awkward kid. But it started coming together slowly after that. Uh, well, pretty quickly after that. Once my I got my body together, and I just got lucky. I could run and jump. And, <laughs> you know, that's it. Uh, and competitive, really competitive. You know, my dad played and coached. And I knew... I knew what a pussy looked like to him, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and and I was never allowed to, to, you know, I guess I could have played however I wanted, but I didn't want to disappoint him. So uh, I was going to play, I was going to be tough. And, you know, I learned at a very young age, you can fight anybody for three seconds before the referees break (laughs) you up. (laughs) Unless Tyson, I don't want to fight Mike Tyson, but other than that, (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to stand in there. And, and you know, you guys know, the second you back down from anybody, especially in this, this league, they own it's you. a wrap. It's a wrap. Yeah. You can't get that back. You can't yeah. get it back. They own you. Fact they own you. You got you to gotta come out and just do something to them. To That's right. <laughs> you got to do no, something. I swear, I, I, I learned this from Reggie Miller. I've never told Reg this. He, I remember coming in the league, and, you know, people are going at me. I'm a lottery pick, white kid from, you know, Kentucky. People are going to go at me, which was fine. I, 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 didn't, I didn't mind it. It taught me a lot. And shit, you, you're going to get that if you can play. And so I can remember early on just being really disheartened in the moment, like when a guy would score on me. Mm-hmm. Um, like dejected, you know, looking over at the bench, wondering if somebody's coming in, that kind of stuff. And – I was playing Reggie one time early on, probably rookie year, and I made a good move, came off, put it on the ground, jumped up, shot it over him, went in, and I remember going, oh, okay, okay, okay. And, and he he was already back down, running down the other end, you know, like it meant nothing to him. And whether it did or not, and we all know it did, you right. know, you, nobody wants to get scored on. It was like, all right, that's okay. I'll let him have that one. That's kind of the outward appearance I got from Reggie on that to where, you know, we say it all the time, you know, act like you've been there before. You're going to get scored on. You're going to yeah. get scored on. Don't give that, that uh, don't give the other man, you know, any sort of belief that yeah. he's it's to you. Oh, right? It's just one stop. If you're a defender, it's all about one stop. You can have yeah. 40 on me, but if I yeah. get that one stop at the end of the game, right. I That's won. right. That's right. <laughs> And, and normally I got to have more offense, offensive reps than I do defense to stay yeah. on the floor. <laughs> At Apollo, when did you know you was the best player in the state? Man, I think probably in my junior year of high school because we played a tournament in Kentucky called the King of the Bluegrass. And at the time, the year before we played in it, Dunbar played there, you know, Muggsy and David Wingate and yeah. uh, Reggie Miller, Reggie Lewis and them. So we got out of state uh, New York teams to come to Kentucky and we, we play in tournaments in the state. The competition wasn't great unless it was, you know, maybe in Louisville or Lexington, you know, the bigger cities in the state yeah. uh, where there's more urban yeah. population. And, but in Owensboro now we're real close to Evansville, Indiana and trying to tell you guys <laughs> that my, the guys that I grew up 
playing AAU ball with, they went to the other high school and all black uh, sports team high school. Right. And, and mine, where I lived, we were almost all white. And, yeah. but those dudes, those dudes who played, we were third in the nation when we were 15 in an AAU tournament. Okay. Uh, these guys could play and they really made me better. They made me better. And then, so playing those guys and then also at the time in Louisville, there was a guy named Tony Kimbrough and Keith Williams. They played on the same team. They both went to L. They were a great ahead of me. And we played them in the King of the Bluegrass and I busted their ass. <laughs> and at that point, at that point, because Tony was 6'7", 6'8", wing player, and I couldn't wait to play him. I, you know, it was before the internet. You're hearing about guys around yeah. us that you don't yeah. even know. You know, you don't know if they can play or not. And those guys could play, and they were legitimate. But I just remember finding out after that that you couldn't be player of the year in the state if you was a junior. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> so I felt like I got ripped off for about a year. But that, nah, it was at, it was at that point that I kind of, you know, and that gives you confidence, right? Yeah. Kentucky University, like, you chose there. Could there have been any other college or you wasn't leaving yeah. the state? No, I was uh, – <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I grew up a Louisville fan. I was and, about to say, uh, no, could it have been Louisville, yeah, you know? Yeah, Lu- that Louisville. Bluegrass State is split. Yeah, man. Not really, though. I thought it was, too. It's it, it's predominantly Kentucky, Kentucky. but <laughs> in, in Louisville and in pockets, but it's, it's mostly UK. No, I didn't like Kentucky at all growing up. I didn't like the thought of them. I didn't like, I just didn't like the style of play. Closer to me was Louisville, and I love, love me some Daryl Griffith. And mm. that whole era, Rodney McRae, Scooter McRae, and all that. Yeah. And look, at, at, and when I started liking Louisville, you know, I'd have gone to play D2 ball somewhere. Well, they started recruiting me early, like when I was a sophomore. They'd right. come to every game. Somebody would be at every game. Yeah. And going into my junior year, I had really verbally committed to Denny. and. Kentucky was way late, which they could kind of afford to be. They got McDonald's All-Americans every year, even back at that point. So, I, yeah. But I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about Kentucky. All of a sudden, at the end of our junior year, Kentucky played on TV in the tournament, and they got beat. And I, I was home by myself. My, the phone rang, and at that time, it was a landline world, and I wasn't going to answer it, but I knew who, you know, I didn't want to get stuck on the phone with a coach that I wasn't interested in going to their school. But the phone rang and I said, hello, thinking it was one of my boys and I was going to clown him over Kentucky losing. <laughs> and uh, it was the AD at Kentucky saying, hey, and he's from where I'm from, Owensboro, Kentucky. His name's Cliff Hagen. He said, hey, Rex, this is Mr. Hagen. I said, oh, hello. He said, uh, listen, Joe B. Hall is going to resign here in just a few minutes. It was right after they lost Kentucky. And uh, he said, I want to know if you'll just come for a visit. We're going to hire Lute Olson or Eddie Sutton. And I wanted to tell him no and that I was going to Louisville. And I was 16 or 17, and I didn't have the courage to tell him that. And so I said, okay, (laughs) man, (laughs) hung up. And my dad and mom got home later that night, and I was just a wreck. Like, I don't know what to do. He said, listen, here's what you're going to do. You're going to call Denny Crum first thing in the morning. He'll be in the office in about four hours. 
you're going to call and talk to him and tell him. And I, man, I, that's tough I right there. So I called Denny. He answered. I started telling him the story and I said, and they asked me if I'd come for a visit and he cut me off and said, Rex, you need to do that. You need to do that for you. Dude, you talk about wanting to jump through the phone and hug this man. And and so I told him, okay, but don't worry. Don't worry. (laughs) I went to, I went to Kentucky and visited. And then I went to Louisville and visited Purvis and Kenny Payne. uh, Those guys were in school there. They were ahead, year ahead of me, had great visits. However, at the time, all the things that shouldn't have mattered did like, rough arena and wildcat lodge all you know to a 17 year old and after going to both places one at the time the facilities everything one was like a jv program and one felt like a a varsity program and that's what i did that's that's where i went and really that's why for the most part it's a better better program yeah yeah. hey listen i gotta (laughs) tell you i'll tell you this though real quick q Denny Crumb's one of my favorite people. We played them my first, my, you know, just a few months after that in Louisville, uh, right at Christmas time. I was like my fifth game ever. And I got like 26 and we beat them by 35 in their place. I felt great. I felt terrible all at the same time for, for <laughs> right. my, I really did. And then get this, Denny was coaching the USA team the next summer, picked me. I started and played the whole thing for him. He's one of my favorite people. I that's mean, that's awesome. a classy dude right there. Yeah, that's awesome. Not holding a yeah. grudge over that, and that's real solid. Yeah. And then, yeah. but this is what I was going to say. You talk about uh, Rupp and Wildcat Lodge, because I visited. They was one of my five visited when I, visits when I came I out of school. I visited, too. Did you? And <laughs> yeah, yeah I, thought, so, I thought maybe y'all did. How was yeah. it? Yeah, listen, I had, I had Hirishimu Evans was my, oh, was my yeah. host. And then Nas was there too. You know, he's Chicago. Nas Muhammad was there. So, so, yeah, you, I so know it was you like know. both of them. And I'm hanging. And I was like, bro, when they brought me into Wildcat Lodge, and then when we, I was like, wait a minute. This yeah. is just only for y'all? Like, he like, yeah, it ain't nothing but us up in here. And then you go to, when I went to the practice facility, I'm like, bro, they got Gatorade slushy machines and stuff swirling around, like whirlpools. I was looking like, this where y'all just hang out at? Like, I was like, this is crazy to be like, then Tubby was the coach and he had, you know, he had a great culture and everything that was real family style. So like, UK had a real, real solid chance, but it just boiled down for me to Kansas and DePaul. And think about this, at Wildcat Lodge, my freshman year, we had big oversized, like eight foot beds, big screen TVs. Every room had a bath, had a bathroom, and we had a twenty four hour cook. That's oh. <laughs> you come I, in that's why they, that's why they inevitably banned it and changed and, and, and made y'all change the rules once they really found out about it. That's right. Going into my sophomore year, they said, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." They locked up all the bathrooms in the rooms, and we ended up getting in there, of course, but. Um, they took away all a bunch of the you know stuff that they said. Hey, look, if a regular student, you know, doesn't have access to it, y'all can't have it, which is absolutely true. Wow! <laughs> now you at Kentucky, and they changing the name to Rexington <laughs> instead of Lexington. You know, yeah. like you doing your thing in Kentucky. Like, how was that? How was like the college experience when you start kind of making a name for yourself and you with a powerhouse school, big man on campus? Yeah, you know, real confusing really confusing because like you guys you know we don't grow up thinking about doing interviews and uh yeah we we just look we're we're trying to make it we're we're trying we're just trying to hoop and so 
you've gone through high school, you guys did it, you know, it's flattering at first and, and all of that stuff. And it's confusing. Let's not get it twisted. It is confusing. When I got to campus, the other thing that was really, you know, and it was humbling too. My dad coached and played and he coached at our local uh, D2 school in Owensboro. They had a great program, Kentucky Westland. He had always prepared me for how hard things were going to be. And that no matter how good I was in high school, he used to tell me, you couldn't start for me at (laughs) at Kentucky Westland. And I looked, I wasn't sure if I could or couldn't. He said I couldn't. Um, so maybe I couldn't. So I was humble and in, in that on the floor. The other thing that was really good, it was really good for me was, you know, I play, came in and played with a guy named Ed Davender, another guy named James Blackman, whose son played at IU recently, Winston Bennett. These, uh, these guys were McDonald's All-Americans who were juniors and seniors. And they could play. And I look, I weighed 165 pounds. <laughs> they had me lifting the bar at first, you know. How back <laughs> yeah, that's UND Mazin in the same boat. You ain't never been down that road. He was in the same boat as you. Oh, yeah, I know he was. I know you. Where they ain't put a weight on there. I lift the bar. I know, man. Right? D-Miles. Same, same. And really, my only saving grace was that year, you know, all the conditioning and everything going in killed me. It killed me. The only saving grace was I knew how to play basketball. And once we started playing, I was able to just, you know, I remember them stopping practice one time because I made a ball fake post pass. And they went, see how he did that? And I'm thinking, pass the ball to the fucking post. What are you talking right. about? But then you realize everybody can't do that. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, anyway, the confusing part about it was, Looking back, I probably was the best player at the time, even though I was a freshman and we had really good, you know, all conference players on the team. I didn't look at it that way. They beat me up every fucking day. I mean, (laughs) they did every day in practice. Great relationships with my teammates. I mean, love them, love them to death. But they, you know, shoot, they were trying to make it too. And um, they made me better. That part about the actual basketball and the lifting and the conditioning and all that stuff, great. I couldn't go anywhere, though. Like, if everybody wanted to go to a bar late at night or whatever after a game, I didn't even drink. I didn't drink at all. I didn't have a sip till I was, like, 22, two years in the league. So I didn't do that. But I like being with my boys who are all, you know, fucked up and stupid. And so, <laughs> so we, and the girls were there. So. Right. Every time I wanted to go with them, you know, they were all underage too. We'd get there and the bar owner or the bouncer would be like, Rex, we can't let you in here because if we do, people are going to know. They're going to come shut us down. And so I was, never, I was never allowed to do any. I couldn't. I just couldn't. Maybe some <laughs> after hour, after hours place. Right. But in, in Lexington, there's only like one of them. <laughs> so, so that part about it. That was really weird, you know, being on campus too. I could be walking with a girl on campus and other girls would come up and people and want to, you know, autographs on a campus, stuff like that. Right. The restaurants and stuff. You got bigger than life. It wasn't, that part about it wasn't fun for me at all. Yeah, of course, the notoriety and all that, when it's good, it's good. And when it works for you, it's good. But you don't feel like dealing with that all the time. Do nothing. You yeah. can't. And you know what happened, though, is looking back too. I started. I started sleeping a lot and 
I was uh, looking back again, for sure going through some depression and, and whatnot, because I always felt guilty too, because from the outside looking in, people were like, oh man, he's got to be great to be him and, and right. you know all of that stuff. And yeah, it, it was. And I, but I felt bad. I was like, man, wow. Other than going to class and, you know, playing ball, practice and, and games, I found myself, you know, just kind of feeling bad. Like yeah. I got the world by the tail, but why do I feel sad? Like, why do I feel yeah, down? A lot, of people, right. a lot of people don't know, like that'd be pressure. Like it's, it's yeah. pressure for me to perform every night. Like if I, I know have a bad game. Of it, yeah. If I have a bad game, like nobody's going to beat me up worse than I'm going to beat myself up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, so, I, I, we, we all did. I lived and died by the box score every day. <laughs> so, you know, the main thing was winning. And then you look and see what you did. And, what you did. and you see what you did, how you did. And if I saw two for 13 on there, I wasn't going to sleep that much that night. You know, <laughs> I couldn't wait to play the next game. And I can't imagine how it was for, like, because I think about it for me, like, yeah, my two years at DePaul, I was the big man on campus. Woo, woo. But, like, DePaul is like a kind of transit school. Like, half of the school is in the city. Then we got a campus in Lincoln Park. That's where all of us stay as athletes. But, you know, it's in Chicago. So, it's like it's not off somewhere like you in Lexington, Kentucky, where Kentucky is everything and it's like you and, they calling it rexington so i mean i, I could just imagine let's for say you. what it is and i'm white i mean that yeah that's the, <laughs> no, i mean look that's not that, i told you let's keep it funky now. now yeah i mean i i knew and i've said this before i knew and all my teammates knew my cheers were louder and <laughs> and and there's something that really just it bothered me and my teammates knew it bothered me, but also I got it. I mean, I got it. I, I know how we do now, you know, just right. over, the, you know, a walk on a check-in. And it's just weird. It's weird. So that part of it, I try not to think about too much. Um, and, and, you know, you guys have, <laughs> I mean, you played on teams with guys that they, they got cause what they got because, <laughs> you know, times are weird. And right. as, much, as much as we think that, that, yeah, we're we're advancing, but things are still weird, right? Yeah, they, they definitely are. Definitely yeah. are. There's some weird situations going on. And yeah. yeah, there's a lot of popularity contests out here. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, for for the most part, you know, I I still it was the best decision I could have made coming here to UK. They really have. Uh, they've been great to me. Maybe you know, and I I wasn't always up. Yeah. You know, they've been good to me and they've helped me, you know, from the time I was little, 17, 18, they helped raise me then and they're still helping raise me. So I'm very grateful to the University of Kentucky. What made you decide to, you know, after all this success at Kentucky, what made you decide to come out? Uh, we were going on probation. Saw that curveball coming, huh? Man, woo. So, yeah, um, we were going to be good, too. I don't know if y'all know this. My sophomore year, I still feel like we should have won it. We were top five team all year long. Me and my backcourt mate, Ed Davender, we were considered the best backcourt in the country. We had a, uh, had a squad, and we got upset by Villanova in the Sweet 16. 
And I had never really thought about coming out, but I played on Team USA the summer before. Mm-hmm. And so, and all those guys, Danny Manning and David Robinson and all those guys were coming out. And so I knew I, I like, I know I can play with these guys, but I never really thought about it. That year coming committed to us was Sean Kemp. And Sean, I took Sean on. Yeah. <laughs> I took Sean on his visit here and he was coming and he, he had signed. And also Chris Mills, you know, Chris Mills. Yeah. Okay. Chris was here, was going to be here. Guy named Eric Manuel, who you might not know, who could really play. He was here as a freshman when I was a sophomore. So we had a squad. We were going to have a squad. But at the time, even having Sean Kemp coming in, I was going to be a sophomore. We didn't have any upper class, none, who had played at all. All of those guys were now done. And it wasn't like you could just come in like Chris and those guys in Michigan with a bunch of freshmen and win college basketball games. It just yeah. it was unlikely. You got them two, two, three year, four year teams. That's like right. back then, like yeah. you know, in so, college for a couple of years. Right. You know, had it been today, maybe I'd have thought about staying. The other part about that was Chris Mills, they said a, a, an envelope full of cash went to Chris Mills. It popped open. It was a big investigation. So now that happened during my sophomore year. Yeah. Mm. So the writing was on the wall. We were going to go on probation. Um, the only question was whether it was going to be the next year, which would have been my junior year or my yeah. senior year. I wasn't going to stay two years. Couldn't gamble uh, it. I couldn't gamble that. And really, I probably couldn't gamble it even for another year. It was maybe the only year they've had a losing record in the last 50 years. You know, it was going to be tough to be there and be double and triple team, you know, the whole year so. I wasn't ready. I was ready physically. I had grown and put on a little weight. Physically, I had no problem making that transition. But socially, mentally, oh, I went to a team. I had guys on my team in Charlotte who were married and kids, and I had no idea what I was doing. They were expansion team at that time, right? It was the first year. They, I, yeah. they picked, I was the first player for the pick for the expansion Charlotte Hornets, 1988. And they had only picked one other, no, two other guys on the team because they had two rounds of uh, expansion draft, which came before the college draft. And Charlotte, they had uh, Dale Curry and Muggsy Mo, who are my best friends to this day, both of them. Stefan was born my rookie year. We lived one apartment across from one another. Um, That's awesome. Dale and Sonia and Muggs, and they really helped raise me. I mean, because – for instance, Sonia would come over to my my apartment, ask me if I need something. She looked in one day and she saw I had like seventy, like seventy packages of underwear. I didn't even know how to do my laundry. I was just going to buy new underwear. Seventy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they drafted me eight. <laughs> that's awesome though yeah the building of that team with you and Muggsy and Dale Curry then you had Larry Johnson come in Larry came in and I was traded I was traded maybe halfway through Larry's first year we I mean we were building the thing with the expansion team at that time was you couldn't get any big unless you drafted a big and then you're going to have to wait for him to develop. The bigs were not given up in the expansion draft. That's why guys like Muggsy and Dell were available because they gave up 
teams were giving up backup guards, they felt like. And so we couldn't compete. Kelly Trapuca, we had all guards. Right. The year after me, they drafted Kendall. Uh, no, they had drafted J.R. Reed. And J.R. and I were the same. Uh, I remember J.R. Reed. Yeah, J.R. and I were the same McDonald's team. Me, J.R., Derek Coleman, Terry Mills, Ramil Robinson. Had a pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 But after me, they drafted J.R. the next year and then drafted Kendall Gill. And me and Kendall, we were all the same high school class, the three of us. But we were staggered in years. Yeah. Then we drafted Larry. And I was traded, yeah, Christmas time of that year. And th- but then they got Alonzo. And by that time, you know, you got some, some guys there. Larry, but you got some guys who can play at that point, yeah. Your game had, a, like, a swag to it. Like, who instilled <laughs> the game? Like, who, who you watched? Daryl Griffin. Coming up, okay. That's what you watched coming up. Because, like, your game, you know. I wanted to be just white like that. guy. You know, yeah, <laughs> a little swag, a little style. That's what like, I didn't What I didn't, and I was a coach's son too. And you know how they portray white coaches' sons. Yeah. You know how they do. Everybody's Bobby Hurley. Everybody's you know, <laughs> um, Wojo. They yeah. they just. I was gonna. I think I was determined to not be portrayed as that part yeah. of it. Kyle Macy was at UK when I was little, and I don't know if you guys remember Kyle, but Kyle was that guy too. His dad was a coach. He wiped his socks. Yeah, I love Kyle Macy. Couldn't jump this high. Played in the NBA, but he was, he was a traditional white guy. Right. <laughs> and I, was not, I didn't want to be looked at that way. And probably, uh, yeah, and definitely growing up watching Daryl play. And, and David Thompson. David Thompson. Mother. David Thompson. Man, that was yeah. a man. And when I went to Charlotte, my rookie year, David had just retired. And he used to come down once a week and bust my fucking ass. From, he was working <laughs> community relations. But then his knee would swell up the next day and he couldn't even hardly walk around. So That's how I am. Right? Right. I got and 50 so- right now, but then I'm, I'm going to be out for about <laughs> two months. Knee going to be swole. I got to get that swelling out. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this. So with, with you speaking on how you didn't want to be, you know, the traditional white guy and stuff like that. What was your feelings and thoughts when you got a chance to look at Tyler Hero at, up at, up when he walked into Kentucky and he had the because he, he got all the sauce. Yep. He is he is personified, not your traditional, you know, coach's son and all of that. I'm glad you asked that question. I knew it was going to be hard on him. I knew it was going to be hard on him being here. I kind of knew how things were at Kentucky. I grew up in the state, even though I didn't really follow UK uh, as closely as I did Louisville. I knew how people looked at. Kentucky basketball players mm. and he could play. He's, he's a white kid who can play. He was going nice. to be popular. He was going to be popular. And so I knew some of that was going to be difficult for him. Cause I think he's also, he's like a year younger than I, I would have been at the same age. So he's young. But when he came here, I thought a couple things stood out. Hey, I'm like six, three or four, but I'm six, seven wingspan. He's like six, five, but six, five. Right. And so yeah. you know how we all, but you know how we all look. If he measured six seven or six eight, he'd have been a top five pick. That's yep. not even debatable, and should have been anyway. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. What I found interesting because he committed to Wisconsin, and when he got here, I was I do interviews with the kids. I try to sit down and talk to him. I also try to let him know, hey, this is going to be hard. And if you need anything, I'm right down the road. So you know whoever it is, but Tyler. I asked him, I said, so you, you were going to go to Wisconsin. What made you 
decommit and sign here. And he said exactly this. I'm trying to get to the league, man. <laughs> okay, he a hooper. Yeah, thank yeah. You, thank you. Thank you. That's what I wanted. Hooper. I mean, you know, really, I don't know if if I'd have said that in the 80s, that wouldn't have been popular to say. Right. Right. But that he said it to me, and we don't even know each other. It let me know that he wasn't phased by the what can be the enormity of the Kentucky basketball program. The other thing I noticed right away with him was like, He'll be out on the floor with his teammates beforehand dancing. Yeah. And he knows he's put in the work. Basketball court is his safe haven. He's comfortable there. He can show who he is as a person and, and all of that. He's better than I thought he was going to be. He's bigger than I am. He's going to have, I think he's going to have a better, longer career. I know he was hurt this year, but also he's still growing, man. He, he really is. He, he's going to be a good one. nice. Kid could yeah, play. I was, like I was very impressed by him. And then while we were talking, you said that it made me just think of him. He yeah. went to Kentucky. He got he, a lot of style and charisma. And he, yeah. he walking like he talking. You see him out there hooping and he ain't backing down. So I respect it. And then the fact that, like we talked about, he's doing it and he's learning in that right organization. I feel like I agree with you because he has a – he has See? a step step up on most people. When you get drafted and you start off there, like everything else is going to be easy after this. If he doesn't stay in Miami forever, wherever else he goes, it won't be any harder. It may be as hard, but it won't be any harder than what he's doing today. I'm with you 100%. And the fact that he's gone down there and look, Jimmy's not easy to play with, be on a team with. And he, he, he loves Tyler. He earned, Jimmy, he earned Jimmy respect. But I told him going into the season last year, I said, hey, man, listen, Jimmy's not easy. Don't you ever back down from him, though. Not ever. Yeah. And and look, he went in there and he gained everybody's respect. He works his ass. That's the other part. He works his ass off. I mean, same way with Bam Adebayo. Love those yeah. two guys. And they're Miami Heat type of guys, right? Absolutely. Yeah. They fit yeah. the DNA totally. Right. UD gave Bam the seal of approval. When you have right. Udonis Haslam, who embodies everything that that whole program means, and when you have him say – that he looks at him as the same way he feels the same way about him, that he can mean what UD meant to the team. When when UD say that about a kid, yeah, stop the presses because he don't right. give compliments. Right. You know what I'm saying? That ain't right. what UD do. And when yeah. he say something like that, that turn, I already like Bam, but that took it for me just not even doing anything else, just knowing that UD said that, that took it to a whole other level for me. Yeah, you get somebody co-sign it like UD and it's good. Right. How was it for you? Going to the dunk contest early on like that. And how, what was that like for you? Like, would you feel like Woody Harrelson and white men can't jump? You know, I really didn't. I probably should have. But the. the no, nah, because you was bouncy in the league, though. That's why yeah. you didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't no well, secret. Right. But I, uh, my rookie year, uh, you know, again, we played, what, 50 games by All Star break. And the league was you know, really, really wanted me to, and the Hornets wanted me to be in the dunk contest. I said, no, I'm not doing it. I'm going home. I'm going to Kentucky for a few days. And I didn't do it. I didn't do it my first year. The next year, they virtually made me do it. And so it was in Miami and uh, I did it. And it was, it was great. Dominique won. You know, he had been in it with Michael before and it was kind of, I mean, he was going to win. But I think that year, yeah, because Sean was in it too, Kemp. Oh, yeah, that was your Sean. Sean was a rookie. Crazy. 
Yeah, he was a rookie. So we had some good dunkers. Billy Thompson, I think, was in it. Guy named uh, you. You remember uh, Terrence Stansberry? Yeah. Did the, uh-huh. the, the three sixty one handed? Yeah. Um, so I was in it that year, and then I did it the next year because the game was in Charlotte. Yeah. And then I, I probably, I think I should have won it. Sean should have won it. They gave it to D Brown with the old pump them up, do this thing. Uh-huh. I, I, and I love. <laughs> I love D. Every time I see him, I say, hey, man, how's my trophy, man? How is it? (laughs) Those are like classic memories for me, like 12, 13 years old. Like that's when we used to be sitting down at the the house on the floor watching the the All-Star games, man. Those are for real classic memories. I can remember all of that. That was crazy. Yeah, I used to always do the flip behind your back and the layup. Yeah, yeah. But it's an easy dunk. Yeah, I mean, I you, did, you jumped that way, right? Yeah, you jumped that way. I did it during a game through the lane, just flipped it up and dunked. Uh, see, and I, I'm proud of that. I came up with that. So I, I, I <laughs> Actually, truth be told, I saw a guy kind of try to do it before, and I went, no, nah, no. Nah. You know who that guy was? Ooh. Danny Ferry. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, he threw it up like over his same shoulder and it went in the, you know, I was like, but if you do it over here, okay. Right, right, right. <laughs> hey, so you go to Washington. Like, how was your experience in Washington? Didn't y'all draft C. Webb around that time? Yeah, we got, yeah. I ended up playing with, well, some really good players, Scott Skiles and Calvert Chaney. Um, Cabbage. I hated Cabo Chain. Yeah, at, at Indiana. Yeah, you, I was I a, a fab five guy. I hated Cabo. Cabo used to kill. Kill us. <laughs> I know. I know. I basically don't like anybody from Indiana. But <laughs> nah, Calvert's my Calvert C note. Love that dude. But then we got, you know, we had Googs, Tom Gugliotta. Yeah. Tom Gugliotta. Googs could play, man. But then we traded Googs for C Webb. For C Webb. Yeah, C-Webb wanted out of Golden State. He and Don Nelson didn't like each other. And and then we drafted the next year Jawan. So, I remember But, that. again, we had me, Scott, Jawan, Chris, Harvey Grant, and Purvis. We I had a Harvey Grant was on that squad. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. I think Harvey, one of those years, averaged 20 a game. Har- Harvey had – yeah, he could – I really- had a – what's the big boy? George Moussa. George, big George. Big, big, big George, yeah. George Moussa. <laughs> tell, you, tell you what, man. He couldn't run very well. But we didn't have to double Shaq uh, when we had George. George was a oh big fucking man. He was and in front of that goal. <laughs> he, he, he tiptoed a dunk. And love to play basketball. Love to play. Like, he'd be at practice two hours early, just out there dribbling and shit. <laughs> uh, he loved it. But, again, all those names that I mentioned, we were all five years in the league and under, except for Skiles. But all of us, we were young. Yeah. We were just too young. I mean, pretty good young team, but we were playing against the Bulls and the Pistons and the Knicks. When you got to the Heat, that's when stuff started getting real with Pat Riley and, and- it's a whole nother NBA now. You're not on yeah. like a lower level team where you're playing, you're not really playing games that too much matter. And now you in the Nick Heat rival and <laughs> like you yeah. yeah, really and truly. I went and I've been in the league, I think seven years, six or seven years by the time I was traded. I was traded to Miami and it was Pat's first year. So, and I thought, you know, and last year of my deal. 
So I knew what camp was going to be like. I had had really gotten in shape. I was, you know, it wasn't going to be a matter of me going down there and not, you know, being good enough to play for Pat Riley. I was really motivated by that also because I knew what Pat, he was coming from New York and I knew, I knew what he was going to ask. I didn't exactly know, but I was preparing for it. And I went down there and I realized so much during that year. The main thing I realized was that I had been a pro for six or seven years. I had been making money, but I wasn't a professional yet. And that year taught me what being a professional was. And, and it also, you know, made me sad that I'd been in the league six or seven years and I'd just kind of been flowing through on my towel. Lollygagging around, around, playing grab ass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it taught me a lot. And, well, I got there and I had to have Achilles surgery right away. So I missed like the first month of the season. And I came back and I was motivated and had a really playing some of my best basketball by the end of that season. And But then they were going to try to uh, – they wanted to try to sign Jawan and Alonzo to $100 million deals. That was one, yeah. so both of those guys would get this. Both of those guys are represented by my guy, David Falk. We're all represented by the same person, and I'm the one that got fucked in the whole situation. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got to get fucked. They, they wanted me to come back, and I said, I look, I'll do whatever you want. Don't just you know pay me what you need to pay me. Don't make me come back on a one-year deal. That's what they asked. I said, cut me, release me, trade me, whatever. And so what ended up happening was they did sign Alonzo and Juwan, but then the league stepped in and yeah. said, nope. They sent Juwan back to Washington. Yeah. And so then they unrenounced me and Walt Williams. They mm-hmm. had waved us to. The wizard. Yep. Yep. The wizard. I love that dude. Walt was nice. Hilarious. He was not a Miami Heat kind of guy, though. <laughs> he was not. <laughs> too cool for that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Walt, the wizard wasn't taking a charge on anybody. <laughs> Yeah, so they unrenounced us, and then they gave me another bullshit offer, and I said no. So then uh, I signed with Phoenix as a free agent. That year was great because it was my first time even playing in the playoffs. We we went yeah. forty one and forty one in Miami. <laughs> we played Michael and them in the first round, and they beat us. They it wasn't even fair how how yeah, bad. It was. <laughs> Five game series. Thank God. <laughs> it's another one. You get to Phoenix and you you got Jason Kidd, you got a young Mike Finley, fan dog OG. Fan love me yeah. some Mike Finley. We have Wesley Rookie Person. Steve Nash. And Danny Rookie. Ainge was coaching. Danny, Danny Ainge is your coach. <laughs> we started that season 0 and 13. And 0 and 13. I had come to camp late. Cotton Fitzsimmons was coaching the team. KJ was hurt. Jason wasn't there yet. Steve was a little fat, pudgy rookie sitting on the bench. <laughs> Uh, so yeah we were terrible but then they uh, we had sam castell robert ori they made a couple trades and ended up bringing traded michael finley to dallas and uh got jason and so around christmas or so i think we got jason and we were off to the races man that dude he changed the pace he changed everything one of the guys you know Q, you're six five. I, I, Jason's six four, six three. Yeah, you know 
it's hard. It, it really is, especially if you're not a scorer, to dominate an NBA basketball game if you're six four and under. I mean, it really is. I mean, you got to be really, really Russell Westbrook. Controlled. But man, Jason controlled the game, and he didn't even have to score. Yeah, he'd go into that just crazy mode where you know you fall down, he's closing out on your man, he's getting the loose ball in the paint, he's tracked down the loose ball in the corner, the rebound. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, and he was great. He was great, so fast, faster with the ball than maybe without it. And all I had to do was just run with him. Right. I ran with him, man. He, he was just gorgeous to play with. And we had good bigs, Danny Manning, Mark Bryant. We had a nice squad. I think we won. He was fast when we got in the league. So I can imagine what he was. Man. Oh, you're so that. I know, man. He'll get going at that breakneck speed, and and you had to allow him three or four just terribly funny turnovers every yeah. game. Just throw one to 13 feet over the backboard just because he was going so fast. But <laughs> the one thing I love about Jason was he got with us, and he was young, and it was in his head that he couldn't shoot. And yeah. people backed off of him, and especially we played the Mavericks, and Don Nelson, who had traded him, he didn't want Jason to look good. He would, like, put a person in the paint. <laughs> so Jay was constantly staring down shots and we used to have to get me and Danny Manning and KJ, Mark Bryant, all of us, we'd get on it and like, Hey man, you got to shoot the fucking basketball. If not, I'm going to have two guys in my lap all night coming off these pin downs. He's just going to sit in my lap. So shoot the right. fucking ball. We knew he could shoot it, but he had no confidence. And so I liked that we were able to kind of, you know, we were sort of that first, you know, group of people for Jason to be like, Hey man, you can shoot it. Yeah, that's yeah. not your thing yet. And then now, look, he's like all top three, three all time mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Was you there when Robert Ori threw the towel in Danny Ainge's face? Yeah, I was there. I was there. I'm trying to think of what the circumstances were, but Robert, Robert didn't like Danny for whatever reason already. And, and you know, yeah. And we were in Boston. And I was in the game. I was in the game, and somebody, Danny, he, anyway, somebody put in, Danny put somebody in for Robert and like threw Robert the towel on his way, you know, onto the court. Like, here you go, dude. Not knowing Robert was pissed or whatever. And right then, in that moment, he just turned and flung that thing right into Danny's face. And we all were like, what the fuck did you just do? And, and, and so the, the I gotta give it up. I gotta give it up to Jerry Colangelo though, Q, because um, the owner of the Suns, because we never saw Robert again. <laughs> he went straight to Los Angeles for Cedric Sabalos, and said was a huge help to us. Could yeah. score without ever running a play for him. Yeah, uh, that is crazy. Yeah, I, I do remember that chase. They came right after that, huh? He got him right out. Like I like said, say it was nice. You know, Jerry Colangelo, like, that, that, nice, that was that Jerry Colangelo came in like the Chicago Italian mafia. That's right. Like, hold on. <laughs> like, what happened? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just nine exactly and point, right. then it's done. <laughs> You're like, Jerry, whoa, Jerry, that, that, that happened guy. quickly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Out of them cities you went to, what was your favorite city to play in? Miami. <laughs> hey, hey, in my, in my, hey, hey, ho. Hey, that's what, Miami, what thing I want to Miami ask you. Phoenix. I love Phoenix, too. Yeah. I love Phoenix, too. People sleep. D. Miles got hooked on Phoenix that hey, one time when he came to D. visit Miles, me out there. Q, think about it. And you were there when I was there. If you play in Phoenix when Phoenix is good, 
It's crazy. It's a it's top crazy. three or four. Uh, you were you like like you said. My first year when you were assistant GM, I tell everybody that year was the one example. From that point on, every team I went to, I would tell people like, bro, if we all hoop, yep, everybody gonna be good. Like that was the yeah. first time where I was on a team. I was like, right, everybody was getting free cars, free something, free this. It's, like it's a big city, but it's a, it's a small city in some respects, and they and just love it. They get attached they everywhere. Love the Suns, bro. I'm talking about top to bottom, bro. You had everybody like doing appearances, doing something, showing up in the community. Like I had never been on a team where when we landed in the airport, the fans was outside the gate with right? signs, everything going bananas, bro. I had never seen that. Yeah. I was like, bro, like you know, I had spent my first four years in LA, and we yeah, we had so you're coming from anything. there, where man, I can feel you. I can feel it you, was a complete, like, yo, I'm, my mind is blown. Like, not only to, you know, play with Steve and and, and, and you and got Trent paid right away. I mean, yeah, right. like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Hey, so listen, that's speaking of that, speaking of that, do you remember the day when me and Steve signed our contracts? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So do uh, you remember the we night had to how to. More money. We had to get you some more money. Yeah. Steve gave me the more yeah. money. Do you remember? I, yeah. I tell people all the time, I wish I remembered the figure because it was crazy the way how the events transpired, bro. And it was like, at that point, I didn't know Steve Nash. I had just played that against him, knew him as a, as is, a peer. That, 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 was, that was it right there. From day one, that gesture was like, all right, so I'll run through a wall for Steve Nash right now. Better not right. nobody come over here and say nothing. My, and my agent, Jeff, you know Jeff Wexler, he yeah. would stay on me. Because like when he found out what happened, because it was like, you remember, uh, he, y'all yeah, were talking back did. and forth, and Jeff was adamant, like, no, nah. Yeah. He was like, and, and when Steve found out what was going on, he cut straight to the chase. He ain't called yeah. no agent or nothing. He was like, man, listen, just take it take off, man, and do this, and then let me and Q go into the bar to have some drinks. And I was like, look to him like, yo. Yeah. And then I was sitting there like I had to we had to, I had to text Jeff and tell him what was going on. Jeff was like He did what? I've never heard anything like that in my life. He was like <laughs> no. he was like he was like you better be sure you take care of him. He would tell me that he would just like incrementally like throughout the year, he was like, Hey, yeah, like you make sure you you remind Steve that you appreciate what happened. Like I'm like Man, he knows <laughs> it. He knows it. I shit. I he's one of my best friends still. Yeah. The but what happened was we had to end up we had done their deals, but they had missed mistallied the cap number yeah and so what ended up happening was we had to go back and and start steve off at a different number you know a lower number ultimately in his first year basically what he did i'm gonna make this up but he took like a million dollar haircut so just so q could get all of his paper exactly it was beautiful it was beautiful it was amazing bro yeah. i had never seen something like that like and you didn't you wasn't my partner you wasn't my right. homeboy we we really What's up on the court when we play right. each other? It was nothing more than that. But like from that point on, like we when we left, we went back to the Ritz over there yeah. by by the Houston and stuff. Chilled at the boy, had a good time, and then it was it was like literally it was on from there. Like Steve could do no wrong in my not like yeah. he did anyway. He was already you know he perfect. But great great teammate, the man. best teammate. You can drink with him, you can hang, he laughs. But also, Q, that's leadership. You know, Facts. that's leadership. That that's it's what the great quarterbacks do. You know, they take care of their guys that, especially if you're going to be, it took me a long time to realize I was not a leader. If you're going to let me fuck around in practice, I'm going to fuck around in practice. <laughs> <laughs> I had to learn to, you know, be better than that. 
but it's guys like Steve that always just, he was that way. He was just the leader. He was, yeah. when, I, when we got together, I was probably 30 or 28. He was probably 21. And he already was way more mature and wise than I was. One of the funniest things I like to see on the internet is block and charge. <laughs> block like, or charge. You, what made you start block or charge phenomenon? Really, it just happened. And it was nothing I thought about at all. About, I don't know, a year or two ago, I, I was getting really, really frustrated and upset with the political climate in this mm -hmm. country. And um, I wanted off of social media completely. Uh, I just wanted off of it. it. It was driving me insane. And one day, really and truly, I just saw, I saw a video on the internet of a, a school of dolphins swimming in the shore and a guy on a paddleboard going out in the <laughs> and one of the dolphins jumped up hit him in the chest and i said <laughs> out loud i said oh that's a fucking charge and, yeah knock the guy over and all that so I <laughs> I know the I just, video. yeah i just tweeted it out people thought it was funny and of course when you send that out you're only trying to reach people who know basketball right, i mean yeah. you know nobody else knows what the fuck that means uh <laughs> Sports, sports people, I guess. But, right, yeah. And then, you know, from there, I just, I started doing it every other day or whatever it was. And it really, I, because, you know, you guys, for what you do right now, you're, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, you got to kind of have a social media presence at this point. Mm, yeah. People to hire you to do things and, and all that. So it really just worked out because mm. I, I wanted off to begin with. And then this is just, uh, you know, it's took it's, the concentration to something else. It's made yeah, it yeah, something else. Yeah, exactly. You still be on the internet, but you just don't have to. That's right. <laughs> I can stay. I can stay away as much as I can, as much as my fucked brain allow me. What was your reaction when when you found out? Okay, these people are coming to me and want to want to do a TV show about my something that I just, yeah. you know, like you said, it just started out how you just explained and it was just something that was fun. And like now it's a real deal. It's a, it's an entity. I can remember when I texted yeah. you like, dude, like I this know. block of charge thing is crazy. This is, this it's is out crazy, of control. Man. And then you was like, I know it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> it was just yeah, I, It's still how I feel. You know, the cool part about it, maybe one of the coolest parts about it for me is that I do it with a buddy of mine we went to literal kindergarten together. We went to kindergarten oh, together, awesome, grade man. school, high school. He went off and went to a school down in Florida called Rollins. You guys are Orlando. Yeah, people. You know yeah I know who Rollins is. That's out yeah, here. He, he went to Rollins, came back. He was an attorney. We just, I do it with him. It's 30 minutes, you know, like Thursday nights on Adult Swim, on the streaming and the apps, all of that stuff. But we just sit there like we're in fifth grade. You know, looking at these stupid videos, people getting jacked up and laughing. You know, it's just having like having a good time. Yeah, being, you know, being in grade grade school again. So yeah. that part of it is great. It still does kind of it blows me away that it lets me know people want content because it ain't the best content in the world. <laughs> but no, the thing is, the thing is, you doing a service to society though. Like you seeing something, you just took it and you making people laugh. It's funny yeah. videos. Every time you see it, that's the overwhelming thing. I know that if I see a block of I'm about to crack up. It's going to be some level of funny. Some are funnier than others, but it's always a level of funny. And I feel like that's just you, you know, shining a light, trying to make people smile. So that's why I, when I hit you, I was like, man, this is crazy. This is like, I was loving 
loving that it was getting attraction and getting getting all of the retweets and stuff. Cause that was how I first saw it. I was like, what is this? I was like, man, this is getting crazy. I appreciate it, Q. You know, the one of the main unintended consequences that I like of this whole thing is that I set up that this Twitter handle probably 10 years ago. The reason I wore number three, first, it was one of the smallest uniforms that was available when I was right. there. Uh, we had double zero and three and maybe five. No, the and big I'm, numbers so, are for the big boys. That's right, that's <laughs> right. But I also knew at that that at that moment that there was this dude in Minneapolis who could really can play music. It was Prince, and I was in high school, and I saw a picture of Prince and his basketball team. Wow. And number three. So I wow. with it. I kept with it. My point being is that my, my avatar on Twitter is a Prince, right. and I forget about that. But what I know is every time I tweet, it just gives him a little bit of life, back into people's consciousness for hey, that's that dope. split second that split second so that part about it really makes me feel good i, I love that little dude I let me it. tell you something my sister might jump through the screen and try and hug she is the biggest prince fan like literally she has jean outfits with them airbrush stuff with them painted on her shirt she is the biggest prince fan ever so to hear that you are, I never yeah. knew that. And I don't yeah, think yeah. anybody else probably knows that they about you. That's a, that is yeah. crazy right there to see, to know that you were at number three because of Prince. And that's, that's, that's heavy. That's dope, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We got to meet him one time. We got to meet him after he came to a Timberwolves game with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and uh, me and Kenny Walker after the game. I remember going up to him. Kenny Walker. Yeah. My guy, Kenny Skywalker. And we were play, both playing bullets at the time. Mm. And, uh, Went up. I never. He, and what blew me away is he knew us. You know, he knew us. We just played a ball game, and he was talking basketball. You know, I've been around some famous people. Y'all been around famous people, right? I've never been around anybody that I was, aside from Muhammad Ali, that I was that sort of just. In awe. Awe. Yeah, I don't even remember what he said. Really, <laughs> <laughs> I was there. Yeah. Hey, so tell me about your Rex Chapman Foundation and how you got all of that going and what you're trying to be as far as an impact yeah. with that. Yeah, you know, I shit, I, I went through when I retired from playing in 2000. I I had seven surgeries my last three years of playing, mm. and so um, a doctor gave me. I had a just in a routine. Well, it was emergency appendicitis, but they took me to the hospital when I got out doctor gave me a prescription for something new called oxycontin and i took it and for real within and again i wasn't a drinking guy I didn't smoke i wasn't a party guy you know i'd go out and have a beer from time to time but uh, so i was 32 they gave me this medication and within two days i knew i was in love i knew i was in love with it i'd always had some social anxiety talking to people i didn't know depression stuff like that and that drug it took away all of that, made me feel like I was nicer to other people. It made me feel like I was a better dad and a better husband. And it was just, it's just hard because it, it's hard to explain. It's just kind of like all of the good thoughts and uh, all the funny things they, they hang around uh, mm -hmm. and all the bad ones, they're just in one ear and out the other. And it's sort of, I've always said, it's kind of like that. It'll be all right, drug, because that's what right. you think the whole time. But my life was getting shittier and shittier. I was taking more and more of it. 
I was making bad decisions. Danny Ainge came to me about a year and a half later and said, man, you messed up. You got to go away and get some help. So I went, <laughs> again, re- very humbling experience. I went to rehab a year and a half, half after, you know, playing and, you know, be all American in college and NBA player and um, never been in trouble, not a day in my life. So I went at that point, I was taking about 40 Vicodin a day and about 10 Oxycontin a day um, and just taking them and chewing them up and eating them, not even water, just trying to get them into my system faster. So I got out of there, but really and truly, I never went back on Oxycontin, but I was on pain medication up until like 2014 and went back into rehab. I was able to, I guess, take it seriously at that point and haven't had any pain medication in five or six years now. When I got out, I, I definitely didn't set out for this to be my fucking story. Right. I remember them coming to me in rehab saying, you're going to help a lot of people. And me saying, fuck you. This isn't my fucking story. I don't right. know. Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? It's my fucking story. Yeah. So I just over the last couple of years, me and my buddy who I do the show with, we started this uh, foundation and really it's just to help educate people. I still, I'll go around and I go and speak some, but it's to help educate people. And then, you know, get people into rehab or, or treatment of some kind that, you know, 12 steps is not for everybody. It's really not for me. There's all different kinds of ways to, to try to get clean. But, and the other thing that I, I think to try to impress upon people, look, yeah, I, and you guys from Chicago, and I know some are both y'all stories uh, with, with friends and family, drug addicts get a, get a bit of a bad rap in that, People think that all of these people are people just out there trying to get high, seeking to get high. And nobody sets out to be an addict. Nobody. And it doesn't matter how the fuck you got there. It doesn't matter whether, you know, it it was you experimenting around or if it was a surgery or whatever. It doesn't matter how you got there. It's about how you're going to get out. And that's what it is, is how are you going to get out of it? And I'm trying to tell you guys, as athletes, we we think we can do everything on our own. Yeah. I tried to quit. I tried to quit. I knew I was taking too much. I we tried invisible. to we invisible. Invisible. Yep. invisible. And I could quit every day. I just could not start back up in the morning, you know? So, um, I think part of that is just trying to educate people and, and let them know, look, this, this life is hard, man. It's hard for everybody. We yeah. all have our shit. We all have our shit. I don't give it. I don't care what you say. You got your stuff going on. Everybody Absolutely. does. And, and I think, you know, trying to let people know that, hey, it's okay. It's okay to fall down. It's just about, you know, you're not defined by your worst moment. You can't definitely, be. Definitely right? I, I, I yeah. definitely salute you on that, man. I, I had five surgeries when I was in the league. I had five surgeries in 10 years. Damn. You had 10? I had seven my last three years. So I probably had... I probably had 10 o- over my career, Ooh. but I didn't have, have very late, late in the game. Yeah. But that, yeah. So that, that's really all, all it is. And good has come out of it in the last few months with all this coronavirus stuff. I partnered my foundation with another nonprofit and we've raised a couple hundred thousand dollars for a COVID relief. Yeah. Uh, just, 
just through the silly that's Twitter awesome, account, man. That's just awesome. through the Twitter account, just people that you know follow the account, and they we've given uh, to different hot spots in the country, New York, New Jersey, uh, money for PPE, food banks, first responders. So that's been really cool. Who is your five all-time best Kentucky players? The top five all-time all right. best Kentucky players. All right. Kenny Walker. Mm-hmm. Jamal Mashburn's number one to me. Monster, Ma- Monster Mash. Used to, Mash. Mash used to go to work on my ass. <laughs> Mash went bad. Monster Mash is number one, in my opinion. Uh, Kenny Walker. And then uh, I got to throw AD on there, Anthony Davis, even though, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't like he scored two points or something in the championship game. He was a shot blocker. He wasn't what he is now. Yeah. But I still, I, yeah. I, I, I go Anthony Davis. Plus, they won it all when he was here. Dan Issel. You guys might not know Dan. Dan He's yeah, 6'11, could score. Uh, shoot it and then I have a tough one a tough time narrowing two point guards down I'll throw myself in there but um, as a two but point guards I got a tie and it's it's Rajon Rondo and John Wall and I it's Mm. hard for me to separate those two Rajon's won a title they're both freaky good yeah I would have loved to have played with wouldn't you love to play with both those guys definitely during your career, you matched up a lot against Mike. They just came out with the last dance. Like, you know, you was playing against Mike them years, and, you know, you don't know the details of how they was kind of explaining it during the last dance, but just to hear what was going on with them teams that they was winning the championship, what you thought about the documentary? I loved it. You know, I, I knew most of it. Again, David Falk was Michael's agent and my agent. Yeah. Michael called me, would have been my junior year, in high school to go to Carolina. Dean had asked him, and I visited Carolina. I grew up loving Carolina. Um, so I visited Carolina and, um, and Michael called. And then, you know, I ended up going with David Falk and then me and Michael ended up, you know, first few years, his family lived in Charlotte. They were at all of our games, his dad, his mom, his brother and sister. And uh, so we were friendly. We played golf and all that, bowling cards, uh, those first few years. And so his hands are so fucking big, guys. I can't even, I can't even impress upon you. You guys played against guys. You know how Kawhi holds that ball right now. It's different. You know how Nene holds the ball. You yeah. know, it's a different game. It's a different game. If nine of us are going for a loose ball off the rim toward the corner, we're all going for it with two hands like this. Right. You can go for it when it's going away from you. You can go and pivot all at the same time and suck it back and go the other way. <laughs> yeah, It's a whole different game. And, you know, talk about the little push-off that he gave Brian Russell. Let me just tell you, that a hand that does that is like a vice grip. He's got you. You know how we all grab and pull and you're grabbing everybody's wrists. Well, when And you can kind of get away from most people. When Michael would grab you, because it was like his hand would wrap around twice on your arm. Right. You know, I told a story the other day. would have been my first or second year in the league. We were playing Chicago, and me and Michael and Fred Whitfield, guy who runs the Hornets for him. Yeah, now, I know Fred. Fred and a couple other friends of ours, we went bowling one night before a game. Michael's up. He's bowling, but he's telling us some kind of story. 
And, you know, every now and then the pin's got to be reset. They get stuck, you know, and you got to roll another ball down the lane just to reset the pins. Michael's telling us this story. We give him a heads up that, hey, reset the pins. He reached over, uh, grabbed a 17-pound bowling ball without using the holes and grabbed it and flung that motherfucker back down the lane. And what? Pin, yeah, reset the pins. And I looked like, looked at everybody like, <laughs> and they looked at me like, you didn't know he could do that. I said, no, I didn't fucking know he could do that. <laughs> and, and he just kept telling <laughs> 17 pound bowling ball without the holes. It's a different game. And that he ended up becoming a really good shooter is even crazier to me with those big ass just- hands like that. But he was playing a different game. And then look, I don't know if you guys have been watching. Did you guys see any of the, they had a Carolina Maryland game on from when they were in high school. It was Glenn Bias playing against Oh yeah, Michael, I did see that. Playing against Michael and James Worthy and Sam Perkins and them. Michael would have been the best four man on that team. He'd have been the best center on that team. He was a freshman. He was just different. He was yeah. different. And his bounce. Look, man, if he got two feet in the paint, he's dunking that thing. And also, all right, you think about this. For most of us, we got if we're going to go in there and, and dunk on somebody, we got to cock it. We got to cock it because our right. hand, he, he jumps and goes here and poop and poop. Just, you know, who can do that? Who can do that? That's why I say, all right, think about it. If there's a loose ball in the paint and he's under the goal, he's dunking that. <laughs> Q, you could do that. I mean, indeed, I know you could, but I'm saying – People, it's just, he's different. He was different and ferocious. I'll tell you this, and then I'll let you get on to something else. We beat them my first year in Miami, and I got like 39. They came in our building the year they swept us. Um, <laughs> they came in our building. They was out all night on South Beach. I know because I was there. <laughs> <laughs> damn right i know because i was there (laughs) and so and so they and and we just made a trade for tim hardaway and sending billy owens but none of those guys were available we were playing them the next night with eight players me alonzo keith askins and anyway anyway they came in and i got hot i had 39 we beat them the year they went 72 and 10 right right i've known michael for at this point 15 years and we're friendly, we're, we're boys, and we played them at our place two weeks later. Two weeks later. And the ball was tossed, and as the ball was going up, he went and got me right in the sternum with his elbow. And I went, oh. and I went, ah, oh, shit, it's going to be like that tonight. And it was. It was like that. I think he got 35 and didn't play the fourth and I got like 13 on three for 13 or something like that. <laughs> so he shot you the ball at the jump. Boy. At the jump. And, and look, I, when I think back about it now, he'd been thinking about that for two right. weeks after watching the documentary. He'd been thinking about that for two weeks. And again, if I got 39, maybe 15 of them were when he was in the vicinity. You know, right? Uh, <laughs> it's just, don't like, like it. He got me every other time, basically. But I, I love the documentary. It was great. MJ's different. He's different. I love him. Love him to death. And I'm proud of him. You saw those interviews from when he was in high school and first in college. How far he's come? Yeah. Uh, no, man. Right? We all Truly. have to kind of learn to do this. He, 
when I was in, in the eighties, nineties, there were two or three people in the world that couldn't go anywhere. You had to close down if they wanted to go shopping at on Rodeo drive or wherever the hell it was, they'd have to shut the store down. Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, maybe Muhammad Ali. I mean, to not only become the greatest basketball player in the world, but to be able to handle everything like he's done. I'm proud of him, man. I'm really proud. Yeah. That was eye opening though when you saw, like you said, when you saw the clips of those early, you could tell, like, oh man, I like because you, you know, for us, I we just see perfection, the goat. It's this MJ, and it was like to see, like, even he had to get. He had to weather that storm and learn. You see, you, he didn't sound as confident as he does now and is, is, is you know, right. as articulate and everything. Like, you seen that he had to grow that, and that was, that was eye-opening. It really was. I mean, and, yeah. you know, it's not easy for anybody, no, no matter if you look like it is. It's not. Everybody is – we're all nervous, and, and we all – we're all people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You know, I always like the eggs. When you got to the league and you got that bag, you know, I know Falk got you the bag. So uh-huh. we got the bag. You know, we all did it, whether it was some a car, whatever. What did you do where you said, look, you look back on it like it probably could have been stupid. But when you did it, it was the best feeling in the world. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm that guy. So I'm glad you asked. I bought a brand new red 560 SL Mercedes Benz and and I took off all the chrome even the rent I put five spoke rims on there every bit of the chrome gold plated (laughs) trimmed in gold gold cashmere the cashmere little things on the inside over the cover seats the sheepskin Uh, it, it was the gaudiest fucking car i've ever i've ever had I, I i was almost embarrassed to drive it oh and a and a bumping system i mean and it was convertible and hey time out time out did you have a mullet then did you have a mullet you had the mullet hey the mullet yeah i had the mullet although i like I like to refer to it as shag. Okay, the shag. <laughs> what city was you in when you bought it? You was in Miami. Charlotte. Charlotte. So right out of high, right out of college. With the shag flowing, <laughs> did the yeah. top down with the shag. Ooh, Not just a side shot. Just a side shot of that. Had Chapman chain on. Oh, and you had the chain. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. So dumb. So dumb. Hey. You know what I had? You know what I had for a while. You're going to like this. I'm going to send you a picture. When I get off here, remind me to send it to you. I had a gold-plated uh, yeah. cap on my tooth. <laughs> my front tooth. Hey, I, you I could pop it on You on your Mike Tyson. Oh, that's great. That is awesome. That is awesome. When I saw Tyler Hero got his hair done the other day, I sent him that picture of me. I got a picture <laughs> of me. I said, you just do you, man. Do you. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. Well, look, man, we definitely appreciate you for pulling up on us, man, and coming to sit down, man. Rex, you know you're one of my all-time favorite people, but you did it big out there on the court, man. Legendary status, and, man, everything you're doing post and you're doing with the block of charging with your foundation, man, we really super appreciate and salute that, man. You're doing it big. 
I appreciate you, Q. You know I do. D Miles, I don't know you as well yet, but now I do. Now I do. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> if Q co signs it, I'm in. Yeah. I appreciate right. you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm proud of both of you. Look, like, like I said, life is hard. Life is weird. And, um, you know, we're in this thing together. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad to be in y'all's fraternity. Yeah. The Players Tribute.com.